Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend, Am Chavrita, your Dana Osband, our daf of the day, Masachat Sukkah, daf Yud Gimel, page 13. Um, okay, today's daf had a great number of plants on it, um, and some of the discussion of the plant is what's acceptable to be used for schach, and, you know, what are the implications of the different species of the different plants. So, I want to focus very simply on it really comes down to an a discussion that is relevant for the arba minim which for the for the four species which we already spoke about and yet it seems to also be connected to some other plants so without further ado amravista ige i'm in the i should tell you i'm in the towards the bottom of amadav which is not along that uh, not along amad amravista igeid bachad if you come to bind things together, and that's, of course, what we were talking about when we we're talking about the Dalit Minim and the requirement to bind them together for, for them to take them as one, so to speak, when you do this mitzvah of taking the Dalit Minim, the four species. So if you bind one thing to, together to itself, basically, if you just bind the one item, it's not considered a binding, which, of course, makes sense, right? Like, then you just have some, I don't know what, thread, string, ribbon, anything that you're going to use to tie around, it becomes a belt or something. It doesn't become an actual binding that combines two things or put or holds them together. Shalosh, Shmei Eged. The moment you have three items that you're binding together, then it is across the board accepted that this is binding things together. there, And they're now bound together. So of course that's considered binding. Shnaim, but if you have two, look it. This is exactly the question. Machloket Rabbi Yosef Rabbanan. Rabbi Yosef and Rabbanan have a difference of opinion here. And it's coming off of the Mishnah. The Tznan, and here's where I say the plants come into play. Mitzvat Ezov, Shlosha Kalachim, Vehem Shlosha Giv Olim. So when we're talking about the thing of the, the mitzvah of Ezov, Ezov is the plant that is translated to be hyssop. I don't particularly know hyssop any more than I know Ezov. Um, but, and I would say, I would add further that at the very least, the notes that I have in my, it's part of the mint, it's part of the mint family, apparently. Okay. That's interesting. Because what I've got here says they didn't, they never really fully concluded what it was going to be. Meaning they're never quite certain what the hyssop is. And so then there's a discussion whether it's going to be, I don't know, Majorna, Majorna, Majorana, Syriaca. I don't know what these names are. Right, that this is the common hyssop. Hyssop is a plant that people know what it is. The question is, how does azov line up with the hyssop tree? Right, that I think um, you're correct about. Hyssop, we know what it is. What the biblical Talmudic hyssop is is something different, possibly. Right, and so then, so what I my note here with a pretty picture in my trusty Steinsaltz Koran Magid Gemara says as follows: The hyssop is an aromatic bush ranging from fifty to hundred centimeters high. It branches out from its base. Its branches are hard and woody. The stems dry and wither in the winter. And it, they get, it gets white flower buds that cluster at the ends of the branches of the bush. Now, the dry hyssop leaves are used as a spice. And they are the primary ingredient in what we all know today to be za'atar. So I, I have no, no knowledge of what family. Like you said, it's a mint family. I have no knowledge of this because all I know is what I've just read. Um, in terms of the botany of it, but in terms of the binding of it, right? Because that's really what we're talking about. 
the mitzvah of it, right? How do you, you have three stalks, right? And you would take them together, right? And bind them together um, on their three stems, one on each stalk. So that's your the three stems on the three stalks. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Mitzvat Ezov Shlosha Givolin, Vesherav Shnaim, Vegardumav Kolshehu. So Rabbi Yossi says, well, when we're talking about the mitzvah of Ezov, what that means is that we've got three stems, and then if for some reason we didn't have three stems, the remnants would be usable for two stems, and then if those broke, right, then you just have like the stumps that are left from the central stem. That in and of itself, as long as you've got it there, is going to be sufficient. Now, what's interesting, of course, is the formulation of the mitzvah of hyssop, the mitzvah, mitzvah to Ezov. So what we know about this is that the Ezov was required when they would, it's part of the process of purification. When they would sprinkle the waters, um, they would use the hyssop. They would use this plant. And it seems to me that they would take a bundle of it. And again, I'm I'm surmising based on the little that I have from from some notes here, right? That they would take the bundle of it, and that means that they had to have more than one stalk. And then from that bundle, they would then, I guess, sprinkle from from the from the plant. Um, they would sprinkle the purification waters. So. This in and of itself, I mean, and there's a lot more to delve into, of course, of course, about this mitzvah te'ezov. Um, I just want to finish the little bit of the Gemara on this. So if we want to say that when Rabbi Yossi says that you've got a bundle of ezov for the mitzvah, that you could in fact have two, so why can't you just say that if you've got two, that's going to, consider, that's going to be considered bound together? What do we have to worry about this dispute? Le mitzvah, um, rebiosi, shlosha le mitzvah, le rabanan, shlosha la cave. So what happens? We've, we're now trying to bind together three the three plants, right? The three stalks. And Rebiosi says you need the three plants only for the mitzvah if you're going to be doing it, you know, like from, from nothing. You don't have anything before you. Now you're going to start. When you start, you're going to put together these three stalks and continue along. But rabanan, they said that the that if you don't have three stalks, then it actually makes the whole bundle puzzle. So the real question seems to be whether between Rabiosi and Rabiosi, Rabbanan and Rabiosi, the real dispute seems to be whether you need two or three items to be considered a binding. Because either way, you need the bundle to be able to do this sprinkling. So the question is, is two sufficient or do you really need three? I like this discussion. When you read it, there's something simplistic about it because of course you need to have a multitude to have a bundle, right? Like a bundle can't be that you just take a single stock and tie something around it and now you say it's a bundle. But it's such a classic Talmudic discussion. You right? Yes. Like, is it two? Is it three? Is it a remnant? Is it a full stock? It, it's just, it's a great passage here. It, it, it's, I don't want to say it's a parody, but it's like exactly what you would expect the Talmudic discussion to be about this particular topic. Right. And and the the fact that this mitzvah to Ezov, the fact that there's this long discussion of Ezov, and I've, you know, I didn't even read everything that's here about it, about the species itself. I mean, it, I find the whole delving into this botany 
rather interesting. I recommend, especially, I know that we have some of our co-learners are much more, um, let's say, gardeners than I have any opportunity to be. I would suggest that you, you know, this is a, this is a dot for you. So just delve in a little bit more. Um, okay, I'm going to hop down to something that's on the bottom of Ahmed Bet, which uh, has this interesting statement from Rav uh, Menashe Bargada. The Rav Menashe Bargada Amar Rav Huna, right? He's quoting Rav Huna here. Um, and again, he, he's quoted here because we had a previous statement about uh, Rav Huna before. Hakotzer Litzchach Ein Lo Yadot. So what he's stating here is, the, is a, a halacha, which is if you let's say you cut down grain, right? You take sheaves of grain, basically because you want the straw, not the kernels of grain, but you want the straw for roofing. The grain has no handles, basically. Ain lo yadot, yadot is the word for handles. So in other words, what it's saying is, is that the straw is not considered to be a handle of the grain. So what, what we're trying to figure out is, remember that normally we say, food items are essentially makabel tuma. And one of the factors that we have to have for schach is that it can, has to be something that is not makabel tuma. Let's say you take something that ordinarily is used for food, but you are not using it for its food purpose, right? It's, it's, it's not being used for its food, right? So if you want only the straw here, which you could use for roofing, um, and not the grain, right? The grain isn't fit to be schach because it could be makabel tuma, right? In this context, the straw doesn't do anything to the grain itself. So you basically can take the straw, even if it has some grain attached to it, because your purpose for this is roofing and not anything that has to do with food, right? And then the Gemara goes on to say, right? So the one who said, that in the case of somebody who harvests grain, basically the straw is not a handle, right? Right? Uh, so, right? So even more so with grapes, right? Um, even more so with grapes, because why? When we're talking about, right? So with, with grapes, right, we have the same thing. We have the stems of the grapes themselves, right? And those stems, nobody uses them. You don't want them really for the wine, right? So they also, we say that if, you, that if you're harvesting grapes, we also say it has no yadot, it has no handles, right? But when you're harvesting grain, he would say it does have handles because the grain that's attached to that straw is used for it is being used for his needs. So in other words, I didn't totally explain this totally well. There is a difference between, let's say, something like a grape that you harvest, right? Because with a grape, the stems are never useful, basically. So the stems are never really going to be macabre tuma, which is what they were referring to. Um, I guess I should have read the previous statement of, of, of Ravaba and Rafuna. So sorry, I didn't start as early as I should have had. The origin, original statement of Rabia of Rabbi Abba and the name of, of, of Rav Huna is, is that when you harvest a bunch of grapes for the wine press, the, 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 the stems are never considered to be makabel tuma. They're not considered to have handles. Because remember, something that is a handle, the handle of the item can be makabel tuma. So here, what the Gemara is making a distinction is between the grapes, right? There's never a purpose of those stems. 
as opposed to the grain case, right? Sometimes you may want that straw. Sometimes, in other words, the, the straw sometimes can be considered a handle. Some, uh, the adot, sometimes it's not going to be used for one. And so basically, if you're using it as a roof for the schach, they conclude at the end of this paragraph, right? Um, even though the grain is going to help sort of weigh down the straw and so it doesn't scatter, we're still going to say that this is acceptable and that you're basically allowed to use this. So what I think was interesting here is they're sort of going even a step further. It's not just that the straw itself is not Makabel Tuma. The grain can even help the straw. But we're going to say that this is an item that is not Makabel Tuma because you're really not using it for food. You're using it basically for roofing. Then the Gemara goes on, you know, to basically want to say whether or not we could say that this is a Machlokas Tanayim. Right. So let's say that this statement of his is actually part of a machlokas tanaim detanya because we see in a brisa Let's say you take fig branches and there are figs on them, right? Or you take vines and there are grapes on them. Or you take straw and there are stalks of grain on them, right? Machvadot. Or you have palm branches and there are dates in them. Kulan, right? If for all of them, there's more of the waste, meaning there's more of the inedible piece, then it would be kosher for skach, if that's more than the food. The imla, but if not, but if not, that's not true. So if you take a particular vine that has a ton of grapes on it, so it's more grapes than vine, that you're not going to be allowed to use for skach. Achirim Orim, right? This Achirim that we always seem that seems to be in a plural, but the, the Gemara sort of always treats sort of as like its own Tanaitic position, right? Right? The, the, the sukkah is basically going to be considered pasul. The schach is pasul until the amount of straw is greater than, right, all of the handles that's attached to the food right, that could be susceptible basically to Tuma and to the food itself. So Acherim, then the Gemara is going to go on to see, is Acherim really a different opinion? Uh, how is it exactly different? But I think here we're bringing in a different element of schach. We know that schach has to be something that's grown from the ground. And we know that many of the things that are grown from the ground are things that are food. And we know that food, by definition, can be Mechabel Tuma. So here the Gemara is basically exploring sort of this sweet spot of something that's grown from the ground that could potentially be used as food, but you're really using it as, you're using it in its inedible form, right? Like you don't care about the food that's attached to it. Can you use that as chach? And so what this price is basically teaching us, Rav Menashe ben Gada, let me say, backtrack for a second. He's talking about whether it can be makabel tuma at all, right? This Bryce is basically saying, as long as, you know, the puzzle part, the non-food part is more than the food part, go ahead, use it as a roofing. Where Menashe ben Gada is even going farther and saying, even its status of being able to makabel tuma, even that changes somewhat based on how you're actually using this particular item. And so again, I don't know that this was a practical question. You know, I always like, you know, that anyone who's been learning with us long enough knows, I always like seeing, is it the boundary question? So I think 
this one is probably both, you know, probably for people who were farmers in an agricultural society. Sure, they might have been willing to take a little bit of their crop in order to use it as chak. But I love how this is like exactly sort of the inflection point of like what makes food food, what makes something inedible. And here it has to do a little bit with intention, right? Just because you stick, just because it's grapes doesn't mean you mean to use it as, as food. And so we will make an exception for that. Now, it can't be the majority of what you're using is the food part of any of those things that was described in the Brysa itself. But I, I, you know, I think they're really honing in where intention becomes important. So it's adding a third level to the schach question, right? It grows from the ground. Can it, it cannot be makavel tuma, but there is an element of intention as well. And then the rest of the Gemara, the bottom of the daf, even goes as far to say as, what about a scenario where you originally intended, you harvested it for food, and then you change around and said, oh, you know what? I have these, you know, I have this straw with grain attached to it. Now I decided I want to use it for schach. Originally, I was going to use it for the actual food. Is there a way by which you can now say, is it just by thought? Do you have to do something to it? But intention really becomes a key piece to this here. Um, and thinking about that in the context of even what we learned about with sukkah, right? That, you know, when did you build the sukkah? What was the intention for building the sukkah? Is it an old sukkah? Was it, you know, that I'm seeing some theme being developed here that when it comes to sort of objects that are going to be used for a ritual, intention does become a factor for it. And we've seen everything from tzitzit, which a few dapim up go, it seems to be that the intention needs to be all the way from the beginning. With sukkah, we keep seeing time and time again, the intention has a lot more leeway to it, right? It, it, it can be inserted at a different point around the process of establishing the sukkah or the schach itself. So I'm just struck how you like to say, you know, whatever it is, it isn't just the thing that it is, right? So schach isn't just schach or maybe straw isn't just straw because the different identities it can take on depending on its function, depending on the, the intent become, you know, paramount of paramount importance here. Right. Oh, that's great. Yes, you're right. I should have said my regular, you know, schach is never just schach. Um, a hundred percent. And I think this is a great example of it, but I'm just very struck by the intention piece of it. And I know I didn't read the bottom of the daft here, but I'm, you know, and it goes on to the top of the next stop. So I was even debating, should I do it today or should I do it tomorrow? Um, I think I'm going to end up talking a little bit more about it tomorrow, but even this idea of like you had one original intention and then how do you undergo a process to undo that original intention? Does it need masa or does it need machshava? Is it enough just to declare it or do you have to actually do something to the object itself? Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcasts. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about this DAF. Uh, thank you to Rabinit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 